the American Express Shaping Insights podcast. I have this urge to share. If something is good, I believe it's even better when it's shared. You cannot speak to every woman, every lifestyle, every climate, every budget, every social calendar, every size, every mood. So what we're doing is by offering the entire collection from every designer in every fashion week, we're allowing a woman to choose exactly what she wants. We're fashion forward. We're going to take risks. We're going to know our references looking back so that we have a timelessness. And I really believe that fashion should be fun. At least it always has for me. Hello and welcome to the Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express, where we bring you expert perspectives on the latest trends in the luxury and travel industries. I'm Alexander Fury, Fashion Features Director of Another Magazine and Men's Critic of the Financial Times, and I'll be your host for this episode. In today's podcast, we welcome Style Maven and founder of the esteemed e-commerce platform Modra Operandi, Lauren Santo Domingo. Having begun her career at American Vogue, the native New Yorker spent time as PR Director and lead of the PR department for Jay Mendel and Carolina Herrera. Returning to Vogue in 2005, the contributing editor is here to share her thoughts on fashion e-commerce and the transferable skills from media to online platforms. Welcome to the Shaping Insights podcast, Lauren. How are you today, Lauren? And in this moment, where in the world do we find you? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I am in New York City today. We are winding up the school year here in New York and then just beginning the fashion calendar. So we're starting resort and then followed by uh, Haute Couture in Paris. It's always fashion week somewhere, isn't it? Indeed. Have you been traveling a lot backwards and forwards? Has that all kind of resumed for you going to the shows and and couture, as you said, and cruise trips and things like that? Is that all back on the cards as it was pre-COVID? Yeah, I think it's pretty much uh, pretty much resumed. At least the the pace has resumed. And I think in terms of resort shows, we're seeing uh, luxury houses like Dior and Vuitton um, doing even more resort shows at destinations. It's back and um, and with a vengeance as well. I actually wanted to kind of start off by talking about your background in fashion and in fashion media and how that has formed the perfect backdrop to understanding style, consumer behavior and trends. Um, was it an obvious choice for you to start Modra Operandi in 2010? And what inspired you to do so? You know, 2010, it was, we were just out of the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, so really what was happening in the shops, there was, it was a bit, it was a bit boring. And um, what was on the shelves was a bit thin. I had been working at Vogue and I had a really special and unique access to the runway. And for me, there was just a really big disconnect between what was going down the runway and what was available in the stores. In addition to that, as I was sort of just going out um, and about about my life, um, there were, you know, tons of women that obviously did not work in fashion Mm -hmm. and they were not able to have the access that I had um, to the front row, to the runways. And there's just something I have. um, I think it's like any editor has. I have this urge to share if something is good. Um, I believe it's it's even better when it's when it's shared. Yeah. So what I really wanted to do is take this 
really old school concept of of trunk shows. That was originally how most designer houses um, would shop, even traditional runway shows. In the front row, there would be customers, whether it was um, at Chanel or even in New York. The front rows uh, were seated. They were they were the customers. And they would they would circle the models that they wanted, and they would place their orders. Um, this this changed ultimately, and then completely uh, stopped completely after the recession, where no one wanted to be seen shopping in public. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really just a lost concept that I wanted to bring back. It was something the customers craved, and it was also something the designers felt that they were missing: being able to have that direct link with the customer as opposed to just putting on these shows for editors, critics, um, and, and, and buyers. They really wanted to have that, that woman that they were speaking to directly in the, in the audience. So I suppose what I did was just um, take this very traditional way of shopping and, and put it online. It's interesting as well, thinking about it, because it was quite prescient, because within a couple of years after that, there were a lot of people starting this kind of see now, buy now thing that, you know, a few different businesses explored, some businesses have have continued with now, but it's very much following a model that actually you restarted in the fashion world in a sense. Um, Yeah, I, um, I, I think that, you know, what's unique about the fashion industry is that we work on such a delayed schedule. Mm. Um, so when clothes go down the runway, they're not being produced for, for six to nine months. So there is a lag in this and the shows are designed to be commercial um, or, or they're, you know, they're, they're meant to show collections that aren't going to ship immediately. So rather than try to reinvent the fashion cycle, which has been tried to do, we worked within the existing structure mm-hmm. of Fashion Week and and really have put no demands on it to change. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. And I think what's really special about what we're doing on top of it is the end customer feedback that we're giving at the end of each show. Um, so while things are being produced six months in advance, designers and, and shop owners like myself, we have a much better idea of what customers are interested in six months in advance. Mm. So the byproduct of that is, I suppose, sustainability. I guess also you're getting this amazing reaction from people in terms of customers reacting to pieces that they want, which can then feed back to designers that all of a sudden it's, oh, this 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 jacket that you would never have expected to be hugely popular is the kind of sellout thing. It's the thing that everybody wants, which must be really interesting for them to hear such direct kind of consumer driven feedback. Yeah. You know, we can say that within seven minutes of a show going down the runway, we get uh, we can tell immediately what's going to be a hit. Um, Sometimes it surprises us. Sometimes it's obvious. Um, but I would be lying if I didn't tell you that designers are pulling me aside and being like, please push for this. You know, please, this is my favorite dress or I'm obsessed with this beaded jacket. Um, if, if we don't have any orders, it's going to be dropped from the line. Um, so that when, when designers are putting things down the runway, they want, they, they want it to be out in the world. So what we're really allowing them to do is, is to have that customer, um, order it for herself as opposed to, the retailer taking that risk. Mm. I mean, what I actually really like about it as someone who's obsessed with fashion myself is I love going on mode operandi and seeing these pieces because a lot of the time you never get to see these pieces in a retail perspective. You never get to see the kind of really high octane pieces 
And it's amazing to see them in that context. I think there's definitely a hardcore fashion client that comes to you because it's the only place where they can get a lot of these things. Yeah. I mean, for me, and I think from my years at Vogue, is just shopping the runway or just seeing everything that goes down the runway. I, I still get excited every season. I still can't wait to see what each designer is putting out. Um, it's it's just that the thrill isn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't wane at all. Mm. So I think the excitement of seeing these runway looks and allowing the customer to be able to interact with them. And a lot of times this is the last time that those looks are ever going to be together. After yeah. that, they're going to be broken up. One shop will order the dress, another will order the jacket. They'll never be put back together again. So being able to shop the head to toe look is something that I felt was quite a luxury. And it's oftentimes the only time and place that it can mm. be done. And that was what I really felt was missing in the industry is um, in, in terms of the runway was being able to really access the vision of the designer from head to toe, um, a really unedited, unfiltered, unwatered down access to the entire runway collection, whether it's in London or New York or Milan in, or in Paris. It's uh, an access that a customer just could not have any other way um, there's a fabulous quote from you explaining your personal style is grounded in the past, but always looking forwards. How do you feel this reverence of the past impacts the way you conduct your business? I don't remember that quote, but it, it really speaks to what I was saying, even about the um, about the business model, where we're taking the traditional form of shopping and, and making it modern again. Mm. Um, but I suppose, yes, when I um, I'm always looking to the past, whether... Um, especially style-wise, I suppose, even in my my personal style, whether it's my my dress or my home, or my interiors or entertaining, there's something about looking backwards. There is a classicism that I find just very compelling. I I find there is an attention to detail, um, and a sophistication, and elegance in the way people dressed and the way they lived. Mm. And it's something that always intrigues me and, and I'm always looking at. And it's really where I go for inspiration. However, um, I am a thoroughly modern creature. Anything that I like and am drawn to, I am immediately, my, my impulse is always, how can I make it modern? How can I bring this into the, into the, into the now and that's just sort of how my mind works. And I suppose that's how, you know, Moda sort of kicked off this idea of this is a great old school concept. What an elegant way of shopping. How can I um, make this modern and make make this uh, something that a modern woman would want to to, to shop in the same way? Hmm. Well, I guess it's that kind of elegance combined with this kind of convenience, it's sort of a modern convenience in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's interesting talking about trunk shows and even haute couture orders being mirrored by your pre-ordering. But also, you know, I was thinking of um, estate sales and auctions and things when you had the... I'm obsessed with Mario Buata. So when you had his stuff for sale, I was completely fixated and going through everything and looking at all the lettuce leaf china and things like that. But again, it's kind of like this thing of that's the stuff you would normally only be able to buy in Christie's or Sotheby's. And all of a sudden it's offered in a different context, but it's very nice. This modern convenience coupled with this very old fashioned way of buying things. Yeah. Mario is such a great example of he's someone who 
um, what a what an amazing moment in time he he mm. lived. The the I think his name his nickname was the Prince of Chintz. Yes. <laughs> um, and and it's and you know his aesthetic really speaks now to the grand millennial, to a millennial who also really looks back to a. Um, you know, sort of the the really luxe 80s, um, really over-the-top bonfire of the vanities style. And Mario really speaks to that. Um, a very, uh, you know, waspy, preppy aesthetic. Mm. So having featuring items from his personal collection is is something that felt like an extension of, of what we do, taking someone who has such great taste and great style and offering that to our customers, giving them a slice of his point of view. Um, and again, he was a very exclusive you know, designer and giving, him, giving our customer access to his personal collection was, was something that I found to be really, really exciting and really fun. It's also another another example of you doing things that you just can't you just can't get it anywhere else, which I guess is at, at this point it's like what what can a, an e-commerce platform do to be unique? And I feel like that's something you're always trying to search out. Like, okay, what makes this special? What will make people come back to us? Yeah, you know, my husband likes to tease me, and he says that he thinks that I started Moda only to create my perfect way of shopping, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong. Um, so if if it sounds like something that I would enjoy shopping, I would enjoy doing or looking at or seeing or, again, you know, following up with my impulse to share things, and it will be on the site Um and, you know, I wouldn't even say it's taking risks. I believe that if it's something that, um, you know, that I feel really strongly about, that I know it will resonate also with our with our customers. Mm -hmm. It's also that interesting thing. Now, I think people want to kind of they want a point of view. They want a, a point of difference. They want, you know, his they want some something proposed to them as opposed to necessarily endless choice, which can feel so completely overwhelming. Yes, that endless scroll. I often find that sometimes shopping online, it's it's really the same interface as ordering one's groceries. You're on fresh direct. It's, it's, it's exactly the same experience. So we try to, I think with my background in editorial and, mm -hmm. and storytelling and, you know, really putting forward a very strong point of view. It's something that we really focus on at, at Moda. And even in the runway, what we're really doing is we're putting forward the point of view of the designer. We are not editing that collection. We are not, um, you know, we are putting that the we are putting the collection out exactly as it went down the runway as the designer intended. When it comes to our in season, we have a boutique like any other, but we do have a very strong point of view, and it's consistent with our brand. We're fashion forward. We're going to take risks. We're going. We're going to know our references. Know where you know looking looking back, so that we're we have a timelessness. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that fashion should be fun. At least it always has for me. I wanted to ask, reflecting back on your career, what is the one thing you wish you'd known from the beginning of your entrepreneur journey when it comes to building a brand or a business? And what do you think it's important for people to know? about that process? You know, I think that it's important that people know that life is a marathon and it's not a sprint. I was told that um, early on, my father told me that, and um, it always definitely helped. I think in, you know, people feel so much pressure now in their 20s 
to have a tremendous amount of success. And I always understood being at Vogue, where the editors were in their 60s or their 70s, and they had worked and earned their place in this industry. And I understood that things take time, and I was never in any rush. It was always more important for me to build relationships, build my network, build my knowledge, um, my understanding, really appreciate the industry and the people in it. And I think that was probably the best advice that that I ever have. It's just understanding that we have a lot of time. I mean, I started my business when I was 35. And to be honest, that felt really early to me. Mm. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I think when we look around is that young people really feel pressure. I was talking to Daniel Rosebury a few months ago and, and I asked him what he wanted to talk about. And he said he wanted to talk about patience, which was very much the same thing. He said, you know, you speak with students and they want to leave university. They want to leave college straight away and begin their brand. And actually the thing is to be patient, to go and work with other people, find out about the business, spend your time, exactly what you're saying. It's a marathon and not a sprint. It's about taking your time really figuring out what you're about and what your business is about. Um, and then you can apply that back and you'll be successful. But it's but it's the kind of the value of patience. And fashion is is built on patience. I mean, even going back to the collection, how long it takes from an idea to a sketch, to a sample, to a collection, to a show, to production, to shipping, to the, the, the time between an idea and an actual um, dress is, is so long. Mm. And I think that patience um, is something that we're really good at. And the fashion industry, while it, it feels fast and fast paced, it, it, it requires a lot of patience um, and a lot of a lot of perseverance. So I, I agree with with Daniel. I think patience is 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 key. And I see it all the time with designers, same same as you immediately wanting to start their own collection. And they think they have to be young and they have to be youthful and they have to seize the moment. Um, and and my my response is always is, is you know, the the know-how, the craftsmanship, the savoir-faire, the um, the references, all of these those things, um, you know, are 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 more important, and and those take time. Mm. I think that self-education that comes after after school um, and working within the industry is so important and cannot be underestimated. Um, I think that's what makes our industry so strong. Is the deep respect and the history uh, for it and, um, and, and really appreciating that and building, building upon those foundations. Um, Mm -hmm. Even the most avant-garde designers are still looking, still building on an industry that was, that was created for them. I think speaking about kind of that idea of respect and that idea of honoring tradition and really respecting fashion, it's an interesting point to talk about sustainability Um, Because obviously the pre-order model that Motor Operandi um, follows offers kind of an amazing opportunity to um, be very mindful over consumption and manufacturing only clothing that people desire. Have you seen this as kind of an ongoing positive impact on sustainability in the fashion industry? You know, 
we've never really pushed sustainability as, um, you know, as one of our core values, but it is a byproduct of what we do. I really believe that when a, when a customer is placing an order, she's expressing end customer feedback on a, on a piece of clothing. And that is, um, you know, giving the designer, giving a retailer, giving ourselves important information about what customers want to buy next season. The idea of a department store buyer in Dallas guessing for the entire female population of America what she's going to be wearing next season or, you know, one editor choosing what the trend of the season is going to be is, is not really... Um, it doesn't really work anymore with all the access to influence and image. And um, we all have so many points of view and, and points of style and inspiration in front of us. So at the end of every season, based on that system, there is going to be a tremendous amount of waste left over because um, you cannot speak to every woman, every lifestyle, every climate, every budget, every social calendar, every size, every mood. So what we're doing is by offering the entire uh, collection from every designer in every fashion week, we're allowing a woman to choose exactly what she wants. And then from that, the information that we garner from those orders gives us a lot more information about what people want to wear next season, as it does for the designers, as they're trying to build out their own stores or their own e-commerce sites themselves. They have important information about what they should be buying, what they should be producing. And the goal is that at the end of the season, that there is less waste, less discount, less promotion. And all, all in all, it makes for a much healthier ecosystem in terms of, of fashion. So that insight is incredibly important. Having experienced both media and e-commerce during your career, how do you see those spheres evolving? And how are they also influencing the buying behaviour for luxury retail, do you feel? Um, you know, right now, women are just consuming media in many different places with many different intentions. Uh, my background is in editorial with Vogue. It's an editorial and storytelling, but I also really have um, an educational point of view. So that's really been at the forefront um, of what we're doing. And we just want a woman to get excited about fashion and imagining who she'll be next season. And um, one thing that I really think about is this transformational power of fashion Um and I think the two most important parts, and it's probably what I learned, um, you know, at Vogue, are this idea of taste and uh, trust. So, you know, the customer really needs to understand that we have the best curation, the best designers, um, and, and, and to really trust our point of view. I think um, she's coming to Moda because she wants to see new designers she wants to be sort of ahead of the curve, and she has that knowledge and can pass on that storytelling to her group of friends. But it's also that interesting thing where it's a very, like you said, it's a very fashion-informed customer. So it's quite a big challenge because it's how do you surprise her? How do you get her excited about something new, something that maybe she hasn't seen before? But there is always newness. That is why I am in this business. Um, I have yet to be bored. I have yet to 
think, oh my goodness, there is nothing new. There is no good designers. There is it, there is always something new. Um, you know, just this, um, you know, just in the last couple of seasons post-pandemic, there is a um, a group of amazing young designers um, coming out. Mm-hmm. I tell myself that the second I start getting bored, the second that I don't get excited, the second that I leave Fashion Week saying, oh, there's nothing exciting anymore. That's when I need to, that's when I need to quit. That's when I need to retire. <laughs> but I'm not there yet. I still, I am just as excited. You know, we're just starting resort season right now. Um, lookbooks are coming in, collections are walking, showroom appointments are being made. It's really um, an exciting time. And there's just never a dull moment. No, true. And it's, it's nice that it's gone back to that after this enforced period i think of reflection and of uh, you know of, of kind of a sobriety maybe i think now is kind of the party time that everyone kind of predicted would happen and it really is happening you can see it in the clothes oh it really is happening it is um for us we are seeing it's sequin it's rhinestone it's crystal it's hot pink it's mini it's like the roaring 20s the other thing that's interesting is, of course, a lot of people would look at that and, and be like, oh, well, this is just, this is designers. This is designers, you know, pumping something out that people don't want. But as you know, it's what actually, it, you know, I have friends and it's what they're buying. They're, they're buying those kind of crazy pieces. They want they want to have a good time with what they're wearing. Yeah, it's really happening. Um, and it's, it's interesting because before... Um, before the pandemic, I think we were really going towards a very minimal style, um, very, you know, a bit, a bit militant, um, very minimal. And so this just came out of nowhere. We are still seeing a lot of minimal. We're seeing suiting. We're seeing tailoring. Um, you know, that continues. But this is, you know, a, a, a dessert, a little extra. It's the cherry on top. Mm. And our customer is just loving it. Yeah, it's a great moment. So much color, so much texture, um, so much joy. And, and you know, it's been long awaited. Yeah. And I think coming out of the pandemic, it was a bit dark for everyone. I mean, designers really, when I spoke to them and I kept in touch with so many of them during the pandemic and like everyone, it was incredibly uninspiring. And they had a very, um, a very tough job right? Yeah. Because they have to imagine every season a designer needs to imagine what is a woman doing next season? Where is she going? What's her mood? What's her point of view? Where am I seeing her? Right? How was designer supposed to imagine what her customer, you know, where they were doing when you couldn't even, you know, you couldn't predict anything. So they had a very tough time saying, okay, I need to now figure out exactly where the world is going to be in six months and then dress her for that world. I mean, it was an an impossible task. Um, So I think just coming out of that now, it's much clearer. And they're like, oh my God, what a relief. We're going to have some fun. We've, we've earned this. I've been really struck during this conversation by how much you've talked about your customer. And I really feel like it's, I get the the sense that you know her, you know what she wants, you know, obviously you relate to her, you're, you're kind of her as well. You're certainly a reflection of her. Um, I, and I wanted to talk a little bit about customer loyalty, which is one of the strongest assets of an e-commerce business. How do you measure customer loyalty and what drives loyalty at Modra Operandi? What do you feel has driven it over the last 10 years? 
I mean, I think authenticity is really important. I think that the biggest hurdle that I had, um, you know, when starting this is that I really had to believe in what I liked um, and really have to say, okay, if I like something, it's good and, and not second guess myself. And so once I was really able to, you know, have that confidence and, and belief in myself and my taste and my point of view, um, I think that connection has been really easy. And our customer definitely, it, it resonates um, because I just feel a certain, um, you know, a kinship and alignment with this woman. And, you know, our customer is really unique and really special. We have the, you know, we have the highest average order value of all of our competitors. It's about, um, it's a average order values about a thousand dollars, which is like a hundred and fifty percent higher than all of our competitors. Um, you know, sixty eight percent of our customers are under forty five, so our average age is is thirty eight, which is really a great um, number. I think that um, the most exciting thing that we did was during the pandemic, we really leaned into video, into video shopping, into live stream shopping. It was something that they were doing in China, and I was always really interested in it. And it was sort of on our roadmap of things that we wanted to do and then and had been looking at and looking at tech out there and really figuring out how we could do this in a way that would be respectful of the designers, would be interesting to the customer. And so we really leaned into that. And we were the first ones to be doing live stream during um, during COVID. And it was um, super fun, continues to be really popular. Um, and we have, um, I think it's like an 80% increase in new customers um, for each trunk show. Every time we do a, we do a live stream and a 150% higher average order value. So it's something that, um, you know, it's one of the, the first really tech advancements that we really leaned into. Um, and it, and it, was, it was fun and it definitely paid off. I was going to ask how the globalization of today's luxury customer has impacted your decision making. But that's a great example. The idea that you saw what, what people were perhaps reacting to in, in China, where e-commerce is dealt with quite differently than it is in Europe or in the States, and kind of took the best from that that could potentially work in that different context. Yeah, I mean, the globalization is something that the luxury houses are grappling with. Um, you know, they are looking at global pricing and overexposure and really trying to control the product and control the market. It's something that is very important to, to designers and the luxury brands. And we're seeing them pulling back, um, shifting to, you know, away from wholesale. Um, so it's something that they're really working with. And what we're trying to do is just do our best to meet the demands of these brands to try to and try to stay aware of the concerns that the brands are facing, mm -hmm. but then also really trying to take into account the hopes and dreams of the customers who still want to be able to access this. So, so how do you balance exclusivity um, with accessibility for for our designers? So, as designers are putting up more barriers. Um, we just want to make sure that our customer still has access to the to the breadth of fashion that she's used to. My final question for you, 
actually addresses something that, that you discussed earlier as well, which is the millennial and Gen Z groups. Your average customer age is 38 and millennial and Gen Z groups surpass more than half of sales of luxury goods as a whole in 2021 per a Bain & Company study. Who for you is the new luxury customer? I am so excited about the millennial and the Gen Z customer. And there was a time our customer average age was was really itch, itching up there. And, and now I find we are really attracting a younger woman who is like me, like I was in my in my 20s and my 30s, just obsessed with fashion and style and the world of fashion. Um, and I, I think the great thing about this generation also is that they're online natives. This customer is really comfortable shopping online and she does not need hand-holding. So she, they're, they're really accustomed to digital first and they're just looking for the new thing. Um, they're used to being to, to seeing newness. They're used to um, being surprised and delighted. And so we need to make sure that they have that same experience when they come on our site, that they are seeing something that is rich and vivid and beautiful and sparkly and fun and 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 that it's modern and it's new and it's something they haven't seen before. When I When I was young and I learned about fashion, it was on the shop floor of Barney's or in the pages of Vogue. I would take the train from Metro North um, to go to Barney's and walk the shop floor. And that's where I would learn about new designers. That's where I learned about the Antwerp Six. You know, I mean, that's, we really had to put in a lot of effort. So I want a young woman to be able to come to Moda and have that same. So it's the experience of going to Barney's or flipping through Vogue and just continuing to be really excited and participating in the in this in this wonderful industry um, and uh, keeping it alive. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts for this Shaping Insights podcast. It's been a pleasure to discuss the ever-evolving world of e-commerce and to hear your thoughts on trends, style, and what makes for an innovative online experience. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, and I will see you at Fashion Week. We hope you enjoyed this Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express. Don't do business without it.